Hello, this is uh, episode 114 of the Chattering Classes. Uh, again, if you want to be in contact with us, just email at chatteringpod at gmail.com. I'm talking to uh, Anthony Van Brown today. A fascinating story about, a, a, I guess, a man who tried his best to live a double life as long as he could and uh, what he had to do to um, deal with that when it all didn't work. Uh, so, yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> so we'll get, uh, we'll try and, I don't know, whip through something in a, in about an hour, I guess. Sounds good. And, um, yeah, I won't keep you long. I've got my shardy with me. You've got your shardy, that's good. I was noting just um, following you on Facebook that your social life far outstrips my own, and I, I was quite <laughs> jealous. I was like, oh, look, he's going out for lunch. Oh, that looks good. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I don't put all of it up, Matt, because people will feel intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm already into this. Is maybe says more about me than it does about you, but I'm already intimidated by just going out for lunch. Sound looks pretty good. You try and pretend, you try and, and um, pretend, and uh, that, and let people think that you have a very quiet life. <laughs> Just do your best, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, what I what I might do is I'll I'll, uh, I'll introduce you, and then I don't know. I, I guess we'll use your book as sort of a, a framing device. I might just talk about knowing Hannah, um, and. That's how, really good context, eh? Yeah, just how you got on onto the podcast for a start. Yeah. Um, and then I think we might just go all over the place in terms of your book and some questions I had and some things that struck me. Um, I wanted to ask you, I think we might start talking about the actual writing process. Okay, that's interesting. Because I'm an English teacher, so, ah, you know, good. I could... Fo- I can't, we can't get through all of the content of your book. And I don't really, I don't want it to be like, Anthony, tell us the greatest hits from the book. Right. Um, but I, there was a, there was something I really wanted to ask about the actual writing of it. Um, the three editions, more importantly, and how you. That's yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And then I've just got some questions. Like I said, we'll go all over the place in terms of, of the book. And um, <clears throat> I'll certainly. Let's ramble. Yeah, well, that's what I like to do more than anything else. And the less structure, the better. Um, and we'll go from there, okay? I think it works well too, Matt, the way you do it. It's, um, it's very pleasant listening. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll, ke- I'll definitely keep this bit in. <laughs> <laughs> you do a promo for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I am talking with uh, Anthony Van Brown. Hello, Anthony. Ah, hello, Matt. Um, and we, I guess, haven't spoken since probably 1996, I'd say. My God, is that it? I that was thinking about it. that today. You know, you mentioned that in the um, podcast you did with Hannah. Yeah. The first one. And I'm, that's, that's right, yeah. I was trying to recall that, 1996. <laughs> and I yeah. said something profound to you. You did. You, you, you gave me really good advice about I, I, wasn't, I wanted to be a teacher, but... My teachers were telling me to aim higher. <laughs> yeah, isn't that hilarious? Um, oh, and so I um, yeah, was talking to you about it and you 
just broke it down and just said, well, do you want to do it? Yes. Uh, will you enjoy it? Yes. Will anyone be hurt if you do this job? And no. So what's the problem? And so it was just a very crystallizing, I guess. Matt, I, I have to say um, that that was 1996. Hmm. You probably got the only pearl of wisdom that sprouted from my mouth in that entire <laughs> year. I can't uh. say that I was really together in 1996. <laughs> So that was, when I heard that, I go, oh, really? Did I say that? That's good advice. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, you know, maybe, yeah, you had a, a moment of clarity in that, in that moment. Was that but a yes. church or something? Where no, was it was at a, I think it was Hannah's, I don't know if she had a combined birthday slash engagement party. Oh, right, yes, yeah, okay. Um, and, yeah, that was just, yeah, that's, that's, that was yeah, something that, that I said. Yeah, it was very helpful. So, <laughs> thank God for that. Thank God for that. And right. look where you ended up. That's right. And here we are. Yeah. 26 years later. So, Anthony is Hannah uh, Van Brown's dad. We spoke to Hannah a few episodes ago and then last season as well. Um, and the main reason why I reached out to Hannah going to school with her was that I saw you on uh, ABC's great show that you can't ask that yeah great show um so i mean maybe i'll start there i hadn't planned on it but i might as well start there you went on an episode called <laughs> cheaters <laughs> yes i did <laughs> so how how did that come about like a, it doesn't strike me that people are clamoring to say are there any shows about cheaters i could be on could someone get me on the show so- of you matt <laughs> <laughs> when they actually contacted me, first of all, they said, um, oh, uh, we're doing a show on Fidelity and right. we think we'd like to have you. I mean, I love the show. <laughs> it's a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they said that, I just, my response was, yeah, sure, I want to go on national television and talk about how I betrayed my wife, what an asshole I was. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> They kept coming back, Matt. Yeah. Uh, saying that we really feel that you've got a, an important story that needs to be told. Um, and I got to the point where I thought, you know what? Okay, let me talk with my girls about this. Right. Uh, Rebecca. And I said, you know, look, if I do it, number one, um, there has to be utmost respect for my former wife, Helen. Right. Um, it has to be. Yeah, I, I'm not going to do anything that's not going to be. Um, it's going to be disrespectful to her. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, my other criteria is <laughs> I'm not going to sit next to a total stranger Okay. and talk about the most intimate details of my life. Right. And thirdly, if there's any question I'm not happy with, um, I have the right to pass. Right. And they said, yes, let, yeah, yes, we'll do that. But here's the interesting thing. There was two hours Right, wow. Two hours of filming, and you know the show's down like about three minutes to me, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and I cried for half of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I cried for half of it. But so it was definitely two hours. So, you know, um, when, when people see that, yeah, that, that's a backstory. But here's the thing, Matt. Um, I was inundated with messages on Facebook and elsewhere from total strangers. Yeah. 
uh, we'll just say how impacted they were yeah. by that and how what I wanted to happen actually happened because they often said, you know, it was wonderful to see the way you really respected your former wife. That's right. So that's what you went in there. And that was your goal was to yeah. get that across. Not easy. Like you, like you said, you did two hours of these questions. You have to, I guess, put faith in the producers, the editors more than anything else. Well, I, put, I, had, I had given the guidelines and, you know, I mean, the, the show's got such credibility, hasn't yeah. it? And integrity. Yeah. And um, I did trust them that they would do that. Yeah, and they did. Obvi- yeah. Obviously, they did actually... They did an excellent job of that. Well, I love that, like, on the actual um, promo, I think it's still there on, on the ABC iView, is actually you holding the sign that says, how could you be such a pig? I mean, did you sign off on that? <laughs> that seemed like that was pretty oh, full no, on. That was probably, um, by that stage, they could have said, do this and do that. <laughs> Do ten somersaults, and I probably would have done probably that. Would have, yeah, right. <laughs> that was at the end. Right. Oh, okay. So, that, them, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. I was. That was impressive. I was like, okay, that's good. So, yeah. uh, what I wanted to cover was um, basically the context of you actually coming on the show. I'm very grateful uh, that you uh, decided to come on the show uh, on the podcast. Also. The fact that I actually it feel it feels like this is the first like proper interview I've done because you know you've Mate, written a- you do a good job. I've listened to a cut, some of your podcasts that you do a good job, buddy. And it's um it's great to you know I had homework. You you wrote a book, <laughs> the, a life of unlearning, and I've I've read that. Uh, I had COVID last week, so I sat in bed and and uh, read your book. And so obviously we're going to talk a lot about that. But the one thing I wanted to, the ironic thing was talking to your daughter, talking to Hannah a couple of weeks ago, um, I was talking to her, uh, I can't remember exactly the moment, but I had a moment of a thought popped into my head of, I might ask Hannah if she would ask Anthony if he wants to be on the program. But the minute I thought that, she said, you know, like, my dad's had to tell his story a lot of times and every time he tells it, it takes a lot out of him. And I don't know how many times he can tell his story. And I was like, oh, maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. It was like in this, in this, it's like she read my mind. And then, um, and then you were lucky or you were um, lovely enough to reach out and, and say, would you like to interview me? And I was like, absolutely. I'd like, as I said, I'd like, I'd like to approach Matt. And I thought, oh, this this could be good. Like, you know, Matt and I having a chat together and doing a bit of rambling around and conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing as well, Matt, is that sometimes, you know, um, people ask questions. Right. And it's when, when they ask the question, it causes you to think deeper than you thought before. Right. And you have a bit of a, a moment, almost like a moment of clarity and revelation and so I enjoy, you know, I enjoy something like this where, you know, um, you're, you're not, you're just an average guy doing your podcasting thing, you know, and, and who knows what questions you might come up with and what I might become more self-aware of. 
Right. Yeah. And that, that's, the, that's exactly right. That's, that's kind of the idea is just when you have a chat, again, not when we're not distracted by other things or um, other people, then we can all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I, it's, I don't know. It's, you just find you're listening more or the, what you're actually, I, I don't know, you're giving the conversation a bit of room to breathe and think about exactly. it, I guess. Um, so I wanted to get to your book, which I found very uh, honest yeah. and very open. Um, and, I mean, the, the underlying thread running through it is like the amount of guilt and shame that you had your life was uh, I, I, at, at times, and you even talk about it in the book, was, you know, almost too much to, for you to bear. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to talk about first was you sent me a, a, a sort of a breakdown of your book that this is the the one I read was the third version, the third edition. Correct. That you'd gone back and almost rewritten. Um, and I wanted to ask you, did you, on each edition, did you find a way to be more open or more honest? Is that what the biggest differences were? Um, that's a good question. It wasn't so much about being more open and more honest because as you've as you've read, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's not a lot held back. No. Yeah. Um, but what 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 re- um, could rewriting again was that um, my capacity to tap into um, the trauma of some experiences yeah. was not available to me in 2004 right. or 2007, which were the other two editions. Um, and I always felt like, God, how do I, how do I explain this to the reader? How, yeah. how, I, how devastated I was and how I felt. Um, I don't have... I don't really have the words I have in English seem inadequate. Well, I, I was going to say one thing I really liked about your writing style was I didn't feel like you were trying to explain why, and I, and I appreciated that. So you're you're in relationships that are filled with domestic violence. But you never really said, oh, the reason I stayed in these relationships was you, even the, I'm just trying to remember, even even trying to work out how you can talk to your wife about having this affair, you didn't say, oh, I had this affair and I want to explain what I was feeling. Like there was the just, you didn't justify or you justified it at the right level, if that makes sense. Sometimes people over-justify in books because they're controlling the narrative. They over-justify why they did things. So you're always, so the narrator is always not the bad guy. You know what I mean? Uh, that's really interesting, Matt, because um, I really did feel as I was writing that I just needed to tell the story and allow the reader to come to their own conclusions. That's why, you know, I could talk about my um, sexual encounters, you know, at parks or public toilets or 
you know, about that relationship with domestic violence. I'm sure, I mean, there are people who tell me that while they're reading the book, they throw it across the room. Right. They get so angry with me. Like, right. Anthony, what the fuck are you doing again? Like, come on. You know, like. Oh, by the way, I did used to swear till I met Hannah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was surprised talking to her, like, my God, you've changed since year 12. Oh, potty mouth. <laughs> the potty mouth, the tattoos, the, the, yep. the drinking, the that's smoking. It's, oh, my God. <laughs> um, so that's very interesting observation because I think, because the other thing, too, that I felt like, you know, the honesty, when I was told mm-hmm. to write the book and yeah. you read about that, which is quite supernatural. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was said to me was be completely honest. And because I had never written a book or was never planned to be an author, I had no concept of the importance of that. Right. But, of course, when I started getting emails from readers and one after another they said, oh, my God, thank you for your honesty, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, that I began to realise the importance of that. It was the vulnerability and then that created a space for their people to then pour their hearts out to me in the email yes. about, uh, to tell me things they've never told a soul before. Because I bared my soul. They felt they could bear their soul. And the other thing in that as well, Matt, is that the, the reader knows when the writer's holding something back. Yeah. yeah. So did you get better at that? Is that what you think? The third edition, you were able to, like you said, you were able to tap into a bit more the trauma side of things. Yeah. Even bringing that, I mean, I, I, I guess my, the question is like, was it traumatic again writing it? Oh, every time. Yeah. Every time. Um, the was it the last time? No, no. The second. The. Second time, I think the second edition, um, I had like a, a terrible deadline. Well, no, I just had a deadline. <laughs> They're always right. bad. All deadlines are bad <laughs> to get it to the publisher. Right. Um, and I had been working till like two, three in the morning, night to night after night. I sent it off to the publisher, the, and um, then I thought, ah, oh, I'll go outside for a walk. And, and I went outside for a walk and I got down to the end of the driveway of the units and I couldn't go any further. I walked back to my apartment and I went to bed yeah. for two days. Yeah, I can imagine. I couldn't, get, I couldn't get out of bed. It was just I was so drained emotionally and physically from what I'd experienced. Because what you experience... In, if you get if you got to do it properly, you have to go back to the trauma, feel the emotions, capture that, and then put it on the page yeah. in a way that the reader can feel what you were feeling at that point in time. Yeah. And that's called re-traumatising. And when you have PTSD, then that's what's going on for you again. So 
you know, people say, oh, was it cathartic? <laughs> I always get asked that, was it cathartic? <laughs> no, it was re-traumatizing, but yeah. I'm glad I did it. Like, you know, oh my God, you know, I just read a, a, um, a, a review on Amazon today. Yeah. This woman said, oh, this is the first book I've ever read about a gay Christian, da 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 and she's, this was the beginning of me changing my whole understanding of gay people. Now, <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that you you said something before, and I, and I actually have it down as a question about people throwing the book across the room <laughs> in anger. I wanted to ask you: Are there surprising points of the book that people get angry at you, or is it consistently? the same things is it about your relationship is it about leaving your family is it like where where does I that say no for the people who confess to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> they threw it across the room in anger and could and had to wait to pick it up again before they continue to read um it was usually about my um consistent attempts to change my sexual orientation. Yes, right. Then it was oh. like, oh, here he goes again. Or a stupid decision as to stay in a domestic, violent, abusive relationship. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways it's the way, because it's written in such a, like you said, a confessional way, in some ways it's like a, like a friend or a family member telling you about, their life and you just say well why don't you in your head well why don't you stop doing that to yourself because that's you know the the understanding you had to get to was about yourself more than other people yeah but that's not how people work right we can tell people all the time this relationship is bad for you and they go oh i know i know absolutely yes and then I can tell anybody about that, and and I understand a bit, a very little about domestic violence because, you know, when I was with Jason, as I called him, the book, you know, like, um, that had been a huge price that I had paid, yes, to be with him, you know, yeah, um, and I loved him, and I wanted everybody else to love him, like to to let anybody know. What was going on behind the scenes? Yeah, um, what I, I couldn't do that because I was afraid that they would judge him or they would say, oh, "Get out of there!" Or, yeah. "How stupid are you?" Um, so you hide that and make excuses and justify and do all that stuff. You know, in the end, he left me, which was a blessing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but not at the time. No, 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 not the time. No, no, I was, um, I was very sad to see. I, you know, I, I had expected Matt that, you know, um, when I walked away from everything, um, and moved in to be with him, that this was the relationship of a lifetime, right? And that I would, you know, that we would go up together. Yeah. And that's that's why you make those decisions. Yeah, it's and it didn't last twelve months. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and yeah, yeah that's that's the, the uh, idea, isn't it? Now, yeah. I I want to go back to your 
you said like the thing that makes you angry is he is Anthony again trying to change his sexuality, but <laughs> the way you've written the story makes that obvious. Like why you were why that's the method. I mean, you're about the same age as uh, my father, and you grew up in the fifties and the sixties, yeah. where that is in the seventies and eighties. Probably that was the predominant view was just stop being gay, just stop yeah. it. Just stop it. It's a phase. You obviously had those encounters where people would tell you it's a phase or just, you know, stop it. Find a girl that'll get you out of this phase. That is, you know, I've talked to my dad about homosexuality in the 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s. And that's what he said. That's what people. What does he remember? That's exactly what he remembers is that people were just told, go and have a family. And he knew gay people who had confided in him that they were gay and but their parents had set them up with a girl and so they would get married and then that would be fine and then they wouldn't have it was more about the parents and the society not having to think about it sad sad so sad whole generation and it still goes on today in certain cultures in certain suburbs in sydney and uh, in rural areas yeah you know we think that we're doing well today you know when we have Vast improvements, you know, yes. marriage equality for a start, but, you know, in certain cultures and families and certain places geographically, there is still that pressure to conform. And, you know, um, I, I, know of, I know of young people in some suburbs in Sydney where their parents have essentially told them, you know, either you, you, change, you do this, yeah. Or you're wiped out of that the will. Yes. Or you're abandoned by the family. Or I'll kill you. Mm. Or you kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck are these parents thinking? Like that's that's showing, I don't know, what is that showing? Not love, that's for sure. No, no, no. It's sad, isn't it? Like, you know, but, but people don't realize how hard it is for some people to come yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have this Western construct. This is something interesting. We have, the, we have this Western construct. We all should be out and all should be authentic. But you know what? For some people, that's virtually impossible for them to do that. And they have to make compromises to live their life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on that's on, can be on a micro level. It's not just sexuality. I mean, I'm a teacher. I see that all the time. These students who are struggling that. all the time to be authentic they're they're not at 17 and 18 they are not they are struggling to be authentic because it's like i said it's it's a much micro level than a sexuality but if i show people who i really am and that is rejected they are rejecting my true core self so I, i can pretend to be someone else and if that gets rejected then that's i can that's still painful but i can deal with that because deep down i know that's not really who i am and so they're rejecting the unreal version of myself. But it's that time of your life where you are trying to find who you are. But I see it all the time. They are trying to just let little bits out. I'm an English teacher. So they write it into their work, this authentic self. But they get very nervous about showing you in case you say, no, like English teachers, like, no, the paragraph's wrong and you've got to do that. But they're, what they want you to say is you're okay. Right. That you as yeah. a person are okay. Simple message, eh? Very simple. I, I, I get emails, Matt, from 
females who are non-religious and straight. Right. Who say to me in the email, oh, my God, I related so much to your story. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Because essentially it's just as you're saying with your students. It's about that journey of being true to yourself, living authentically and having integrity. Yes. And that that can be a rugged journey. <laughs> that's a long that's a long journey for everyone, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't think it's yeah, it's straightforward as sort of it's marketed to us, right? Of like like you said, be authentic, be yourself, let your <laughs> true colors shine, and then just let it out bit by bit, I guess. Or really, oh, really, so easy. <laughs> so easy. That's right. Just but you have to go through those experiences, don't you? Like you know, the ones that I talk about in the book that make you realise just this is not me. No, no. I mean, one of the things you wrote in your book was that it was for, for you a, a forever cycle, I wrote it down, of temptation, failure, guilt, condemnation. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. So growing up, knowing, I mean... Did you, I, I don't even know how to word this, so I'll just word it. Did you feel like you knew you were gay? I know that's a strange question because a lot of, most people would say that, yes, I knew I was gay, but it seemed in the book that you were kind of hoping that what people telling you, because they told you so much, it's a phase, you'll get over it, that you were hoping that that was the case. Well, uh Not really hoping, but you know what I, I mean? Like, yeah, no, I just had a thought about that, that initially um, because there were no role models or anything around, it was really hard to know who I was or what I was experiencing was really all about. Right. You know, like... like when I looked up the word homosexual, this will shock some people. Mm -hmm. I looked up the word homosexual in the dictionary I was using at school. Yeah. It said pervert deviant. Right. <laughs> well, I, I had a book my friend gave me, I don't know, probably when I was 18 or 19, and it was called On Becoming a Man, and it was written in like the 1950s. And it was like oh. a guide. It was a guide <laughs> to being growing up. Well, now you're a man. Here is your guidebook. And it was so obviously archaic and out of yeah. touch. But it said there was a chapter on, on homosexuality and it said there is a freakish manifestation in humans called homosexuality. But, and yeah. that's, you know, that's, the, that's where you grew up is uh, I can't imagine what that was like for you to feel this way and, and read those words. Yeah, so it was hard to to put a label on myself, yeah. um, wh what I what was very clear to me was I had to keep this to myself. Yeah. And secondly, I had to do everything possible to try and change it. That set the pattern for the rest of my life, which was what brought me to Christianity. Right. So that was the hope that somehow God can change you. Yeah, all the promises are there, you know, I'll be forgiven, I'll be delivered, I'll have a new life, it's all available to me, all I do, need to do is give my life to Jesus.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to, because that was one of the, I actually, I didn't take many quotes, but I took this quote. Uh, it says, if God wanted me to be straight, then why didn't he take away those feelings and allow me to live with a peaceful mind, free from the struggle and torment that had plagued me regularly? Yeah. So did this struggle, I, I guess, did it, I mean, it made you lose faith in yourself, it seems, in the book, but did you lose faith in God over time? Um, it was until I met Jason. Right. I kept believing, I kept hoping, I kept praying, I kept resisting, I kept doing everything till I met, well, not till I met Jason, till I fell in love with him, right. which was same weekend, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, as often happens, yes. But not really conscious of what was going on yeah. because I'd never fallen in love like that previously. So, um, yeah, that was, um, oh, sorry, I'd forgotten your question. So I was just saying, like, did that lead to you, ah, the yeah. crisis in faith, I guess? Or... So, yeah, so, so when I was confronted with love as opposed to sex, Right. Which is a huge difference. Yeah. Which is the core of your sexual orientation is about love, partnering, tenderness, affection, all those things. Um, I was confronted with this is something I, this is beautiful. Right. This is something I want. This is not some dirty, nasty, little perverted thing on the side. This is, I, I want to be with this man. Right. And, um, that, that then was my reality check. <laughs> okay, so um, over two decades now, you have <laughs> been through conversion therapy, you have been through exorcism, you prayed every day, you've had 16 years of marriage, and now you've fallen in love with a man. So wake up, buddy. <laughs> you're gay, and you always will be gay, and you need to make a decision about what you're going to do with that. Yeah. So when you make that decision and when you have that idea, does that change your relationship to religion or to God? Uh, that left me in a space of, I guess the space was. Mm. Can, I, can I maybe put it this way? It Good seems question. in the book that you are let down by people more than you are by God. Now, God let me down too. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it, that's interesting because I think at that point I was really just wanting to no longer think about that stuff. Right. Because, you know, I was experiencing some things I'd never experienced before. And I knew they had huge consequences. And at that point, I knew had, I had no answers. Like, why hadn't you answered my prayers, God? Like, I was sincere. Right, yes. <laughs> I, I believed, I confessed, I did. I, I believe, I, I think I've done everything the book says to do. Yeah. And I'm still gay. So, okay. We're going to put that aside for a moment. I'm just going to have to um, 
um, try and sort this out now. Right. So how, I mean, how was that for you? Um, I guess, was it your job of being a minister? I can never remember the actual official term. Evangelist. Uh, evangelist. So you're an evangelist. You're an evangelist. Um, when you are trying to battle with that, with that, your own self-identity, what was it like, I guess, was it that being in the evangelist and going and doing that work, that was your comfort space, I guess. That was your space where you were, could you feel like you were most you in that space? Uh, you have some good questions, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> I just know, sorry, I, I just know as a teacher, when I'm in front of the classroom, that's Tell often where, where I feel this is most, where I'm most myself. Uh-huh. I you know, that, they talk about it as flow, but, you know, like just feeling like I'm not really thinking about anything that's outside of what's happening right now. I, 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 I was in the flow. You yes. know, this, this is what I felt called to do. This is, was my mission in life. This was, this is, yeah, I, it, I, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, I wonder too, though, Matt, and I, and I guess a good psychologist could help with this, <laughs> is that um, I wonder at times how much my commitment to the ministry was a projection. Okay. Of, and a way of getting brownie points, you know, of uh, compensating for my other gay self, my gay self, which was not congruent or had no integrity and no. was secretive and was hidden, that maybe some of that, I, I don't know. But I, your question was really about that flow thing and being, I felt incredibly centred yeah. doing the evangelistic work and right. preaching. Very rewarding, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's the... the- the energy you get back as well, and yeah. the energy you put out. Did you ever hear me preach? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, you remember if you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say the same thing about teaching, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Matt, he's a brilliant teacher. They're going to come back to you, you know, in high school reunions in, the, in like 20 years' time go, oh, Matt, you were the best teacher I ever had. And they were quite words that you said. In the classroom. Yeah, they'll, yeah. often I'll be like, I didn't say that. How dare you? What, what a gift, though, eh, to have yeah. that positive influence on people's lives. It, it is. It is very It is very nice. Um, oh, Now you've put it back on me. Now I've lost my train of thought. I see how hard this is. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> you can ask me a question. I have two questions for you. Okay. One is, as a straight man, how did you find reading or life about learning were there moments where it was icky? Where it was icky? Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, I've read enough books from all kinds of experiences of, of life to just go, this is someone else's life. No, no okay. moments of ickiness. I did have a moment, though, of thinking, what did, <laughs> I did think, what would, if my dad wrote this book, Ah. You know, because I just sp- spoken to Hannah and I thought, right. what if my dad had, I talked to my wife about this. I said, um, Anthony's book's very honest and open and very sexually. There's a lot of detail 
in his descriptions and I, and I said, I wonder if my dad wrote a book and he talked about, and then I went out with this girl and this is what we did, whether how I would read that, like literally how I would read that. I don't know whether I would just, at first you'd be like, oh my God. And then you just, oh, I'm reading, I guess you can read a book. It'd be interesting. I I don't know if I'll talk to Hannah about that on the podcast, but I am (laughs) very interested to know, because she did say that she got to read when you wrote the book that, um, she got to read a very early version of it. And, yeah. um, and that was when I was reading it. And I thought, I wonder with some of those bits. But no, I didn't find it icky at all, no. Right. Um, and again, my dad had talk, talked to me a lot about um, when he used to work in the bank in um, Sydney and he, he like, like he said, he had a, a couple of gay friends and the stories that they told were very similar, like the, okay. the danger that they put themselves in at mm-hmm. times to meet people and it was all secretive and against the law up until a point. I was born 1951. So. Yeah. yeah, so Dad was 1950. Oh, okay, so we're the same age. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah, the, 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 I wasn't, the, the ickiness came from like, Anthony, this is, like, I, again, I, oh. understood, I understood exactly what you were doing, but. Mm-hmm. What you had to do, like like I said, because it was illegal, it had to be covert and it had to be in the shadows. And and in the fifties, Matt, the police commissioner, the new police commissioner, his name is Colin Delaney. Yeah. And uh, when he became the new police commissioner for New South Wales, he uh, was quoted in the newspaper as saying. While I'm police commissioner, I have two goals. One is to reduce the road toll. Yeah. And the other is to wipe homosexuality out of Sydney. Right. It is the greatest menace we face. It's an epidemic proportions. Epidemic. Like it's, epidemic like, it's, yeah. like it's a virus that you can just. Oh, <laughs> like no. You can, you caught you it. Call it a cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dad, Dad remembers like the, the police stings. That they used to have yep. in Sydney, where they, they would hang out and then they would encourage you to go into a bathroom or something, and then yep. basically two two or three policemen would be there to beat you up and um, yeah. or arrest you or arrest you. Yeah. But the crazy thing about that was that um, they they uh, what's the word um, provocateur? Yes, is, is the correct word for that. Yeah, entrapment, right? Here's the thing was that sometimes when they went to court, the judges (laughs) were intelligent enough to say, you were the initiator of the crime. Right, yes. (laughs) The policeman was. Right, 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 right. Yeah, like you winked at the guy, you nodded to him, come in this cubicle with me. You, You sat down at the park waiting for him to come and sit next to you. So, yeah. You, you, you're involved with the crime. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Technically, you're the criminal. Yes, exactly. that's right. Exactly. Wow. Yes, it's. I mean, the one of the other things um, that you mentioned in your book, which I talk to students about, like you said, we 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 like to think we've come a long way in in our society, but I like to talk to students about even growing up in the eighties and nineties, this concept of poofed bashing. Right this idea that people would do that as an activity mm-hmm. go to oxford street that's right in sydney and just 
beat up gay people as your social idea. Do you know that there are about 80 unsolved crimes where the police at the time um, wrote these deaths off as suicides? Right. Wow. Or the, uh, the, and uh, recently there's been a court case where finally, after all these years, um, this guy that was thrown off the cliffs um, uh, in the eastern suburbs, yes. his brother was able to get just the guy. They finally tracked down this guy. But there are at least 80 other, um, yeah, uh, uh, of those deaths which really remain unresolved because the police at that time were happy to just go, must have tried to kill him. So we might explore that. Yeah, so, so the, the deaths of uh, homosexuals and sex workers were often just, oh, well, they were yeah. going, to, they are going to die anyway. That was usually... What they, that's what they, they should expect that. Yeah. yeah, it's dangerous for them and yeah. they live a dangerous lifestyle. They... Society has made it a dangerous lifestyle. Yeah. But, and again, this, this idea that it's a, a choice, you know, yeah. that you would choose to live a lifestyle that could get you killed, yeah. but, you, but you are going to do that because why? <laughs> why yeah. would you choose that? It's, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of that era, I think, is still beneath this. I mean, you would know. It's still beneath the surface today. Yeah, yeah. And there, yeah. So sometimes what's behind that is what's known as internalized homophobia. Right. That people will lash out in hatred and in violence towards somebody who reflects what they hate within themselves. Exactly, yes. Yeah, sad, sad. Yes, they react outwardly too. The threat you know, that's you know, when them. I was in high school, mm. I was harassed. Like, you know, talk about bullying. We didn't know much about that in those days. But I had this gang of guys who used to follow me around. Like, ever they saw me in the school playground, yeah. and they were in the years younger than me, they, they'd come up behind me um, in the, at the top shop, start bashing me in the back, and then they'd whisper, we're going to get you after school. Right, you know, and we're going to bash your head in. And I used to live in fear. I used to, I used to leave school early to escape that. Yeah. I found out later on <laughs> that a couple of those guys were actually gay. Yeah, I think that's a very common story from a lot of high schools. The right. people who were on high alert, we're on high alert for any gay kind of behavior, uh-huh. are actually they are are actually on high alert. Mm, for a different for a reason. reason, I guess. Yeah, yeah. for that yeah. different reasons. Um, so I also wanted to get to, um, I talked about, like, you asked a question about whether it was Icky and we talked about Hannah um, reading those stories, but I wanted to ask you about writing the book. You get lo- lots of emails and a, a lot of affirmation from people, strangers emailing you or messaging you. What What was it like for the people who knew you? What was it like for your daughters and the people close to you was it um like obviously there was stuff in there that they didn't know well they didn't they didn't know Hmm. it was all new yes 
So how was that? Was that harder? I'm guessing that was a hard thing to show them. Writing it's hard, showing them's hard as well. Interesting. I thought, you know, um, when I gave them that, I wasn't thinking so much about, oh, my God, what are they going to think about this chapter and that paragraph? And I wasn't thinking about that. I think I, in showing them, I was more about, are you, are you happy uh, to cope? Are you okay with the implications right. of this story becoming public? Public. I'm more. I was more concerned about their reaction post. Right publication that I was concerned about their reaction in reading. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. That's, that's yeah, that's what was going on. I was really, I was really concerned about how they may be impacted once the story comes out. Right. Are you okay with that? Read this. You okay to let this go out in public? Right. And when that happened, they were all okay, I'd imagine. They were. They launched the book at the midnight shift. Midnight shift. Yeah, <laughs> Oxford Street. Yeah, with three hundred fifty people in two thousand and four, um, and did it. And that's on YouTube. Yes. And yes. yeah, it'll make you cry when you see it. So that's the book launch in two thousand and four, isn't it? Two thousand four. The yeah. very, the very early YouTube clip. <laughs> I'm a Gen Y trapped in a baby boomer's body. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of got the sense of that. I kind of got the sense. You, know, you may be the same age as my dad, but technically, in a few other ways, you are certainly not. Well, don't seem to the same. <laughs> so I wanted to also go back to uh, earlier this year, and I talked to Hannah about it, about going back to Bundina House, Christian community. Uh, so that was in, was that in March this year? You, we, I think you went back. Yes, it sounds about, about March or May. So Bundina House, I don't know if that's what it was called in the 60s. Bundina Christian Fellowship. Was Christian called. Fellowship. And that's where you went to have, I guess, what now would be called gay conversion therapy. Correct. Um, which is still ongoing somehow. Um, and that obviously, that's quite a confronting part of that's heartbreaking to read um you want to talk about vulnerability writing that story about being there and i i guess having your humanity taken away quite quite i mean the the it's also you could write that story as a satire like as a something even satirical the way they were like well you can't wear these kinds of underpants yeah, I still didn't quite understand that part of it, but you can't wear that underpants. Well, the, 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 the white, the white, um, white fronts were meant to be non-sexy. Oh, okay. <laughs> As if that's what attracts you to a. You know, to a mate with if a man's in any decent sort of underpants, yeah. he's looking hot. Yeah, it's it's. Hopefully, I'll be off shortly. <laughs> that's right. But it was that. It was the removing any ads from reading material that like a newspaper or a magazine that had a semi-naked man in it. It was the, just the humiliation um, yeah. that you and others went through to, I, in their minds to, 
were they trying to cure you? I, I, I can't. Oh yeah, they were. They, they believed that they had the answer. Yeah. To you know this, I'm actually just writing about this now for the. Uh, there's a submission to put into the um, to Alex Greenwich, um, member for Sydney in, in New South Wales Parliament, because yeah. he's putting forward an equality bill, which will hopefully ban. Yes. Conversion therapies. So I just was writing about that um, the last few days. And think about about so what was their strategy? Um, here's something hot off the press. Only last week I got because I've named the place right. <laughs> and talked about how they've now become affirming that amazing experience. Yes, um, I had an email from a total stranger saying I was there at that time. Wow, and I was physically beaten yeah and i remember one of the people in that place having a black eye and i asked somebody what happened and they said oh well she had a um oh, she had a very heavy counseling session with shirley wow like, like uh, it's yeah like it's, it's so like i said it could be a satire of yeah it's unbelievable. And, you know, even in me saying that, I'm, I wrote that in the book thinking, well, I remember that being said, but I still don't know if it's true. And right. here I get an email last week from wow. somebody completely different yeah. who tells me this is what happened to her and the other people stood by and watched while it happened. Yeah. Incredible. It was, it was abusive. It was, uh, but you know what? Behind all that... Um, the reason that was happening was that the people who, some of the people who were leaders, had their own tortured internal life. Yeah. Which, once again, are projecting on people like myself and others who are part of the the residential program. So, um, I guess, like a, a question is, I mean, seeing that they. Um, this year you went down there they made a presentation and apologized um, for their treatment, not just of you, but of everyone who went through that experience um, was a pretty clear indicator of what we should be doing as a society, yeah. like admitting the mistakes of the past. It's, you know, the, I don't, can only speak for Australia, but Australia has a long history of saying these things are in the past and we didn't do these bad things. Other people did them. And why should we feel sorry for them? And why should we feel guilt for things that our ancestors may have done? What, what did it bring to you? Cause I'm sure it didn't bring you like peace. It's not going to make things go away. Apologizing, but what does it just even the um, action of it, what did, what did it do for you? Was it hard to go back? It was even living down that area during lockdown was triggering my trauma. Right. Even seeing the property, when I when I walk out of the IGA and see the, the veranda that I was humiliated on, like, yeah. it would trigger, not, not severely, but, you know, it was very much there. I should say that there's only a handful of people left who are part of the community in at that time. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, they were not responsible for what happened, yeah. but they were a part of the community and they felt that they needed to say sorry, not just to me, but to the others. There needed to be some acknowledgement. What happened in this place was wrong. Mm. It was cruel. It was abusive. It was ignorant. And somebody needs to say, yes, that's what it was, and we are sorry this happened to you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that needs to be said more often. Yeah. Yes. And people go, oh, I didn't do that. No. It's not about you, though, is it? I mean, it's not about the person apologising. Yeah. A bit it's of grace. A bit of, what, what's it going to cost you to be genuinely, if you get in touch with what happened to, like, Indigenous Australians, you know, if you really get in touch with what's happened to the refugees, you really get in touch with the suffering of others, of mm. the other. Yes, of the then other. And you don't, it's okay. Are you not okay? It's, it's a good thing, even though you were not personally responsible to say, I am sorry for what happened to you. Mm. And to resist doing that probably says more about you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Than anything else. You yeah. got a little work to do on yourself, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're we're gonna wrap up fairly soon. Um, I wanted to say as well, uh, on a on a much darker note, like reading the book, it's it's quite remarkable that you that you're here at all, Anthony. That the the dark places you went to, the um, suicidal um, episodes that you went through, and the really—I was going to say the ups and downs—but you know what? There's not many ups in the in the book. I mean, there are, but comparatively, it's a it's a lot of like you said that struggle of the the cycle of the guilt and the temptation and the condemnation. Um, and, and I wonder just the thing that is remarkable is you, you, looking back on it, say that you endeavour not to be cynical with life. And this, this is maybe an impossible question, but how? <laughs> how, how did you get to that place of, of not feeling that cynicism and, um, I don't know, I wish I had the answer to yeah. that. But it's true, Matt. Uh, it, it is a miracle when you read the book uh, and, and you really know what I went through. It's a miracle I survived. And since A Life of Unlearning has come out, I have had like thousands upon thousands of emails. And I know the stories of people which have um, attempted suicide taken their own lives, they're bitter and twisted, they hate people, you know, there's so much angst and anger there, and yet I don't have that. (laughs) And um, one thing that I think contributed to that was I remember when I got the letter from the Assemblies of God, which you read about in the book. Yeah. 
and, and, and I had been wiped for the rest of my life by the denomination I'd given, oh, well, not just me, me and my wife and family had given years to. Yeah. Um, and uh, now I was discarded. And it was at that point my friends hadn't contacted me, no phone calls, no letters, no visits really. And um, I thought, you know what? At this point now, I have two choices. Mm. I can hold on to this and this will eat me away for the rest of my life and make me a very, very unpleasant person Mm. or I can forgive and let go and walk away free Mm. of this. And I remember exactly where I did that in the kitchen in our house at Terrigal, where I stood and I made a conscious decision. I said, and I forgive the assemblies of God, and I forgive my friends who abandoned me, and I forgive these people who rejected me, and I forgive what people have said about me. I forgive. Um, Now I can walk free to live my new life. That's that's incredible. And uh, we might leave it there, Anthony. What a great way to finish. That's it. Not a bad place to finish, eh? I Beautiful. hope that helps. I hope that helps people. That's the important thing, Matt. Because mm-hmm. people hold on to stuff, don't they? They sure do. It's that bitterness that you can see. And it's Let in it them, go. you can see it on their faces. The only person you're hurting is yourself. Mm. Yeah. There's freedom.